In today's episode, we're chatting with an ex-Disney leader on all things customer service and company culture. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the best practices that have helped drive them to success throughout their career? And then we apply all those things to the world of sports and entertainment, hospitality, service, live events, your business. Now, today we are sitting down with a former Disney leader. We haven't had one on in a while. Uh, and today's guest is Dennis Snow. Now, Dennis worked for the Walt Disney Company for over 20 years. And there he developed his passion for service excellence and customer experience. And now he brings that to the world in the form of keynote speaking, workshops, uh, and books. He's authored two books, one of which is how I initially stumbled onto Dennis and his work. He began his career in 1979 as a frontline attractions operator, and he moved through the company managing various operating areas throughout the parks. One of those areas that he spent a little bit of time is Disney Institute, which is obviously where I spent my time. Uh, I was there for about six years, and Dennis spent a ton of time there really starting up the consulting arm of the company. In addition to Disney Institute, he also spent several years with Disney University, which is the internal part of the teaching arm, if you will, of Disney. So within that, uh, he's going to be teaching corporate philosophy and business practices to cast members internally in the leadership team as opposed to externally which is what I did at Disney Institute. Um, now, while he was at Disney University, he coordinated Disney Traditions Program, which is universally recognized as kind of the benchmark in corporate training and new employee onboarding. Uh, and in his last year with Walt Disney World, uh, his leadership performance was ranked in the top 3% of the company's leadership team. So he doesn't just preach it, he practices it as well. Uh, again, today, full-time speaker, keynote guy, workshop guy, book author, Two of his books that you can check out, we'll link to in the show notes. First one is the newest one, Unleashing Excellence, The Complete Guide to Ultimate Customer Service, which is a lot more practical. How do you actually do it in your organization? But the book that I first came across, Dennis, is called Lessons from the Mouse, A Guide for Applying Disney World's Secrets of Success to Your Organization, Your Career, and Your Life. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Dennis Snow. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm uh, glad to be participating in this. I am always super excited when we have a, a former Disney colleague, a uh, former Disney leader on the show. And it's been a while since we've had somebody, so I'm excited to jump in. Yeah, well, you're a former cast member. I'm a former cast member. And you get two cast members together, and we've got stories to tell. That's for sure. So <laughs> let's let's jump in. So like so many other cast members who spent a lot of their career there, that first job that they took was really just supposed to be a summer job. That's They're, right. It's just supposed to start there. So it turned into a 20 year career for you. Right. Um, so talk to us about something like your favorite roles that you had at Disney so that people can get an idea of the scope of time and roles that you had while you were with the company. Sure. Well, my first job it was actually at an attraction that's not there anymore. It was, I, I was at 20,000 leagues under the sea, the submarine ride. And uh, that's probably still the best job I've ever had. It was, it was wonderful. And as you said, it was just going to be a three-month job. I had no idea it was going to be a 20-year career. 
And uh, then I worked at different attractions. It's a Small World, which was the longest six months of my entire life, hearing that song over and over again. Um, got into management and managed different operating areas around the organization. And then I went to the Disney University, which, as you know, is the internal training arm of the, the company. And that was fantastic because it was new people coming into the organization, going through what we call Disney traditions, the orientation program that sort of aligned people with the culture, the Disney culture. Uh, we did the management training. And, and then we spun off a division called the Disney Institute, which you're very familiar with, where companies would come down and benchmark best practices with us around customer service, leadership, creativity, and so forth. And I managed a division of that for many years. And then I hit 20 years and I thought, wow, that's a really good round number, you know, 20 years. And I was still relatively young at the time. I thought, I, I'm going to go out on my own and do training and development and consulting with, with other companies. So I've been doing that now for 23 years. I can't believe Holy cow, that's been yeah. longer than I was with Disney. And, but I still have that. Disney mentality that's still very near and dear to my heart. No question. And I, and I think it's interesting. So the episode before we recorded with you, we did it with one of our friends, Eric Weisberg. Um, and he spent uh, a much shorter time with the company and now he's the VP of fan experience with the Tampa Bay Rays. Yep. Spent a much shorter time at Disney, but I, re I really do think, especially if you spend your formational years with the company, even if you're only there for a year or two, mm -hmm. that mindset gets deeply embedded into oh, yeah. how, how you approach work, how you approach relationships and people and serving others. Um, and it really, it never leaves you. So yeah, 23 years to 20 yeah. years, it makes sense. I, I meet people all the time who were cast members at Disney at one point or another. And even if it was just for a short stint you know they were on the walt disney world college program and they'll say things like to this day i pick up trash off the ground uh you know that 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 i'm a customer service fanatic you know i'm always looking for things i said and disney instilled that in me uh so yeah it does stay with you no matter how long you work both of my sons worked at disney well i do think we're going to get into that this episode because i think a lot of people think that there's almost like a, there's a mystification to that. There's kind of like yeah. a mystery, like how do they create a, a world or a culture where people only spend a year there and that mindset sticks with them right. for forever? How do they do that? And so I always I tell them gonna, it's something they that. sprinkle in the food in the cafeteria. <laughs> that's not really the answer. That's the quick, the quick answer, right? <laughs> um, well, before we get into all that, I, I do want to kind of I touch on like maybe a, a great story that best encapsulates your your career at Disney or or maybe a favorite story mm -hmm. that has been less lesser told uh, as you've toured around the world talking to people about Disney. Yeah, you know, there, as you know from working there, there's so many, you know, that that you, to, that you can think of, but it's it, it's there was a moment that has stayed with me where I was having a bad day. Uh, and w which we all have, no matter what we do, we have those days where we just want the day to be over. We, we want to go home. Uh, and I was having one of those days and I was getting, I was getting ready to leave. I was the supervisor over the character department in the magic kingdom. And I was getting ready to go home and they were having a character greeting in front of the, the castle. 
And I just stopped and watched for, for a minute and, and Snow White was there and it happened to be Snow White and kids were lined up to get their autographs and get their picture taken with Snow White. And so I just watched for, for a minute or two and this child came up with her parents, hugged Snow White and Snow White started talking to the child. And I overheard the mom say to Snow White, uh, our daughter is deaf. You know, she can't hear what you're saying. You know, our daughter's deaf. And Snow White started signing uh, to the child. And it was one of those moments that's frozen in time for me that I thought, this is what it's all, this, this is what it's all about. You know, this is that moment represented the magic to me and the power of one person's efforts uh, in you know, learning, a learning how to sign and being ready at a moment's notice. And so I, you know, whether that child remembers that or not, uh, you know, I don't know because it, it was a young child, but I guarantee you the parents remember it. No question. And I remember it, you know, to this day. So it was, and, and it reinforced for me, you know, that, okay, I'm having a bad day. And here was this, this moment that just flipped the switch for me. Yeah. Uh, and it was magic. And it reminded me that that's what it's all about. It's those one-on-one -on -one moments that you have with somebody that can create a memory that lasts for a lifetime. Yeah. And I, I think that is such a great story that does encapsulate the Disney magic. And yeah. when we talk about great customer service or great customer experience, specifically service, it really does come from this architected system mm -hmm. that is globally pushed down right. and empowers individuals at an individual level to deliver a genuine That's moment. a key point, right? A, and, that, that people need to feel empowered uh, yeah. to, to do that, to create those moments. Uh, there's guidelines, of course, you know, that no you question. have to, that you operate within, but when your people understand that they are empowered to create those moments, that's when they really do start happening and perpetuating uh, themselves. So that's a key leadership point that you just made is you've got to, to be willing to trust and empower your people to no create those question. moments. No question. Well, let's, let's jump into your book because I think you've got some really incredible teaching points. Now you, you've got two books. Um, and the first book that I came across from you though, was the lessons from the mouse book. Uh, I think, okay. I think I was, I was reading or buying Dan Cockrell's book at the time. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, That's a great, that's a, that's a great book. It's great. He was one of the first guests we had on the show. Yeah. Um, and I was buying his book and I think it got recommended on Amazon, your book next to it. Like people who bought this book also bought uh, Dennis Snow's from book. The mouse. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, great. Let's check it out. Yeah. Um, so that was when I first came across your work. So maybe, maybe we unpack that because that was where we first jumped in, but then happy to go other places as well. Sure. Um, yeah. Lessons from the mouse. It, what I wanted to do was to create a a, a template that companies could use for how do we create a great experience? What are the key elements? So I went back in time in my mind and, and thought, what are the, what are the key lessons that I learned during that 20 year career? Um, and some of these will be very familiar to you, you know, never let backstage come on stage, create moments of wow, because little wows add up. Don't be a customer service robot. Uh, know what frustrates customers and do something about it. 
uh, you know, so there's 10 lessons that, that I, that I came up with. Uh, these were the things that really stayed with me. Here's what they meant from my Disney days. And then here's how they apply in other organizations, you know, because I take it to that, to that next step. And what I find is, is that core service principles can really apply in any organization, whether it's entertainment or sports uh, or retail or, you know, any, any operation. The application might be different. And that's why at the end of each chapter, there's application questions that, that people can use to apply those principles to their own roles. But these are the 10 things that, to me, uh, really stood out and had an impact on my life uh, and I think really are at the core of any service-driven organization. Yeah, and, and they're not rocket science no, principles, right? Like I, I'm looking yeah. at, I'm looking at them in front of me and one of them is everyone has a customer, right? Pretty basic, but when you actually get into the application, that yeah. is where the magic comes. And, and, and the consistency so, is important. That's the other thing is yes, you look at it and you say, okay, yeah, I mean, that's obvious, but are you doing it? Mm. You know, and are you doing it consistently? And from my consulting and training work, the answer more often than not is, no, we're really not. You know, they get that embarrassed yeah. look on the, no, we're really not doing that consistently. Well, Let's, that's where the application comes into play. We would always say at Disney Institute, you know, it's, these are common sense things. They're not common practice though. Exactly. And, and that's yeah. where it comes. So of these where, again, a lot of these are common sense, but not common mm -hmm. practice. Do you feel like there's one that organizations struggle with more than others? Well, I, I find the the biggest one that there's there's two that I find that that organizations struggle with. What's going uh, on? One is don't be a customer service robot, because what happens is, especially over time, we get into a routine and we start processing people, right? And we've all lived with that. Whether we're talking to a service provider on the phone, we're interacting face to face at a venue. Um, and they, they're, they're just sort of processing you, you know, as you're entering a sports complex, you know, they're just sort of processing you through where, and, and it becomes robotic, especially over time, you know, it becomes robotic. And so one of the things at Disney and, and what I think world-class organizations do is they capture those routine processes and say, how do we personalize them? You know, and so there's just that genuine greeting, that smile as people are coming through. One of the things when I would load people on the rides at Disney, kids would have the mouse ears with their names stitched on the back. And I'm counting people, you know, I'm counting them to, to go on the submarine ride, you know. But there was no reason not to say, you know, as the kid goes by with the name on the back of the mouse ear, say, hey, Bobby, how are you? And, you know, and it would just freak the kid out because they said, how did he know who I was? You know, and the, the parents, of course, knew exactly what she did. Exactly. But it was it it was it was taking what could be a very robotic task and turning it into an experience. And so that's what I mean about not being a robot. So it's identifying those routine processes that are part of any role in a, in an organization, and how can we personalize them. You know, how can, how can we add that personal touch? And it's not about throwing money at it. It's not about throwing time at it. It's about changing the approach that you take to it. Uh, so that was, that was one of them. The other one you touched on earlier is everybody has a customer. 
Uh, one thing that I find in organizations is that oftentimes people who don't deal with external customers don't think this customer service stuff applies to them. And it does. You know, it's just your customer is somebody within the organization. Uh, if you if if you if you weren't serving somebody, your job wouldn't exist, right? I mean, we're all serving somebody. So the principles are the same. The application again might be different, but I have yet to come up against an organization that can deliver fabulous external service if their internal service stinks. No you know? question. And I'll I'll expand on that last part a little bit. Like, do you remember Michael Feldman? Did, did that name? Yeah, yeah, that name rings a bell. Yeah. So Michael was, I actually ran into him the other day down in Orlando, um, but he was our legal for Disney Institute. Okay. Okay. And I probably learned more from him for things that I use today as I'm like writing contracts with clients and things mm -hmm. than I did from the majority of cast members that I spent a lot of time with. Um, but part of that was because he viewed us as Disney Institute as his customer, Yeah. even though he, his job like right. his role was to protect the company. Yeah. His purpose was to create happiness for Disney Institute and yeah. helping us get the job done. Yeah. And yeah. so there was often times where he would say, you know, look, like how badly do you want to get the how badly do you want this deal, right? Because I could <laughs> I could say we're going to stick on this point and this point and this point, right. but you might not get the deal done. I'm like, I want it pretty bad. And he's like, all right, well, I got to protect the company here, but also And like, here's I know why. And here's why. Yeah. And let's try to go win this and convince the client. Um, but at the end of the day, we'd be okay walking away from the, or we'd be okay waving this clause because mm -hmm. we know that it's important to you guys. And my job is to serve you, Disney Institute. And there the, are not the, many legal teams that act like that. No, no, there are. <laughs> that, that's funny. Uh, the result of that is, and this is going to sound cliche, but it is absolutely true at Disney. You do feel like a family. Uh, because everybody is aligned with what Disney is trying to create. So they're truly, even though there can be sometimes, you know, conflict, uh, as with any organization, you all feel like you're on the same mission uh, versus a bunch of different silos with different missions. Uh, so that was one of my favorite things about Disney is we all felt like we were in it together. Yeah. And I, I do think a big part of that is because everybody had that mentality of everyone yeah. has a customer, right? I'm yeah. serving someone, even if it's internal. Yeah. And and a lot of organizations don't get that. And, and so many times I'll work with people who serve internally and they kind of have their arms folded with, you know, what is this going to have to do with me? Yeah. And then as you start unpacking it and you start talking about it, they say, this has everything to do with me uh, no because this person on the other side of the room is my customer. That's the person that I serve. And uh, so everybody having that mindset. Yeah. And it, and it trickles down. So, uh, yeah. Well, let's jump into another one of your 10 lessons here, talking about figuring out what ticks off your customers and doing something about it. So other than kind of social listening or making notes from customer service phone calls, do you have any favorite tactics to really dive into what ticks customers off? Yeah. Well, and, and some of those things that you just mentioned are important. I mean, they really, they, they really are to have multiple uh, touch points where, where people can communicate things that might be frustrating. So those kinds of things, you know, listening in, doing side-by-sides at the contact center, very important. But I believe, the, and I coach clients on this all the time, 
the number one resource for finding out what frustrates customers are your frontline employees because they deal with the same issues over and over and over. And oftentimes they know more than the customer knows about what frustrates them because they, they, they can, they get the themes, you know, from the, the conversations and the discussions that they're having. So regular meetings with nothing else on the agenda, you know, most organizations, they have some kind of team meeting, whether it's virtual, face-to-face, -face, you know, departmental, whatever. Most organizations have some way that they get their, their team together. And to have nothing else on the agenda four times a year, so once a quarter, what are you finding frustrates the people we serve? You know, whether that's external customers or internal. What are some of the things that frustrate? All right, yeah. Okay, let's let's take let's take one or two of those things that really are sources of frustration. What can we do about them? You know, what can what can we do about those frustrations? And you're not going to solve every single issue, but let's say you come up for with four every department comes up with four solutions a year that at least alleviate customer frustrations. That's world class. That's what, you know, one of the examples that I always loved at Disney was, you know, when a child is not tall enough to go on one of the rides and they get all the way up to the front of the ride, they missed all the signs, you know, the height signs, they get up there, they can't get on the ride. And, you know, the child's in tears because the family can go, the child can't go. So half the group stays with the child, the other half goes on the ride. But that doesn't solve the issue for the child. So they came up with, by having this kind of discussion, these future rider certificates that the next time you come back and the child is tall enough to go on the ride and the cast member is giving this certificate to the child, you and your family go right to the front of the ride. Give, them, give the person working here the, 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 the certificate. You go right to the front of the line in front of everybody. And now you've created a hero. For that child, you know, because she know he or she knows the next time they come back right to the front of the line. Yeah. Uh, and it came about by identifying that's a frustration that people have. And what can we do about it? And it's literally a piece of paper. You know, when you boil it down, it's a piece of paper. It, uh, it's a it's a valuable piece of paper. Yeah, I think the dad's about the parking lot to sell these things. <laughs> well, because because at the end of the day, too, I mean, from a financial perspective, what's going to happen when that kid gets home? Yeah. That that piece of paper is pinned on his yeah, wall, yeah. and and yeah. every day he's every week he's saying, "Mom, Dad, measure me." And you better believe, once he hits forty eight inches, he's yeah, saying, "Yeah, we're, we're going, yeah, going that's back right. to Disney." They probably measure themselves every day, grow their hair out, you know. And <laughs> it's a great it's a great customer retention tool too. Yeah, and, sure. Um, and you're but, here, and 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 again, you think about the parents thinking that was really nice, you know that. They, and again, it's a piece of paper. At the end Cost of it, it's a piece of paper, Cost but it came about and, and, and it came about by what frustrates those we serve. So that's why I go back to our frontline people are just an untapped resource for what frustrates customers and what can we do about it? Do you, I, I want to kind of go deeper a little bit here. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask frontline people to elicit information is what are we saying no to? Mm -hmm. um, so Good that's idea. one. Um, do you have any other questions? Because I think I, 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 I you, you were a leader there for a long mm -hmm. time. So are there other questions that you can dig in besides just 
what frustrates what mm-hmm. are you saying no to can you think of any other ones or do you feel yeah, like well and, and what frustrates you what what takes up your time uh when you're dealing with a guest or a customer you know what 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 takes up your time to deal with that particular situation okay what can we do about it you know what when you see when you're watching things what what are, what's what things do you see confuses people um, you know, and that could help with your signage and those kinds of things. You know, where do you see customers struggling? Uh, you know, they're coming back, you know, they're at a sports arena and they're juggling, you know, six drinks in their hands. You know, what, what are you seeing that uh, are sources of frustration or, or problems for people? Uh, you know, just watching at Disney. Uh, where do people look confused? You know, where are they trying to, okay, well, that's a good play in terms of signage. Okay. Maybe we need better signage at that, that, that location, but it ultimately comes down to asking, Yeah. you know, and acknowledging these frustrations. I don't care what business you're in. There are frustrations. Okay. Yeah. There are customer frustrations. So what can we do? Those are great. You know, I, a good I, example that you know we've all dealt with is the uh, the repair company, for example, that's coming to repair your washing machine. You know, and you say, okay, and they say we'll be there between nine and three, right? We'll be there between nine and three. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a really convenient thing for me to have to. Okay, I can't go anywhere between nine and three. Uh, so what do you do? Well, they run into problems, you know, they run into where they're at one location for a longer time. And so some of the more progressive organizations, they'll shorten the window. Uh, and that's, and we'll stay in touch with you via text or phone call or whatever. We'll stay in touch with you, let you know when we're about an hour away from, from coming to your place. So you can go out and do your shopping, run an errand, go to lunch, get a text. Okay. We'll be there in an hour. Okay. Time to go home because they're on their way. Uh, so it's a, that's a little thing, but it addresses a major frustration that we have as customers. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So asking, asking the question is huge and then yeah. doing something about it. I think, I think two organizations get caught up from what I've seen of when they ask a question, getting caught up in, okay, now we got to make this big change. Right. And I think what, you know, one of the big takeaways, every time we talk with Jesse Cole, our friend oh, yeah, at the Savannah great. bananas, who's great. He's big on small bets. Yeah. Right. And I think, yeah. and we were too at Disney, right? You hear, hear that. Mm-hmm. Don't just totally change your operation based on that right. information you heard. Take a small bet. You got to do something about it, yeah. but test it, test right. it before you start to be, go roll it out. And that makes the change a lot less intimidating. I've, I've found. Yeah. And, and I remember years ago, we were running into a problem where people would rent strollers. And this is back in the day when we had these huge, heavy strollers for children and people boarding the train, the steam train in on main street to go to frontier land. They weren't allowed to bring the strollers onto the, train because they were just too big. They were too clunky, too big. And it was a, it was a frustration because then they would have to go to the stroller park at, at Frontierland. So they said, okay, what do we do? Well, they were going to design a car for the train that they could put strollers on, which would have been easily, you know, 500,000, a million dollars to build this thing. And they had this conversation. One of the Pearson said, well, why don't we give the person getting on the train a little card 
that they leave their stroller here when they get off the train in Frontierland. We have a stock of 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 strollers there. They give the card to the attendant, get a new stroller, off they go. That's what they did, and the price of that solution was a little card. <laughs> You know, yeah, these cards that they created. A lot of, lot of frustration. Uh, so saved. they went from a million dollar solution to a card uh, to handle the exact same problem. Amazing. Well, last question here on lessons from the mouse. Um, I want to talk a little bit about terminology. We talk about this on the show often and, and with our clients about how important language is mm-hmm. uh, as we, we try to drive certain key behaviors. Um, but there are a bunch of little things like the phrase little wow, right. seeming kind of like an oxymoron. So talk to us about like just little wow. Yeah. And how do you coach staff to deliver that? Yeah. So little wows are things like uh, that smile when somebody comes into the facility, that friendly greeting, the fond farewell, the reading the names off the back of the Mickey Mouse ears and calling the child by name, uh, offering to take the photograph of a family so that the entire the designated family photographer can also be in the photograph. Uh, that that those are little wows, and the point that I make is little wows add up. Okay, that little wows do make taken individually maybe they're not a a big you know that big of a deal but you put enough of those little things together you know you think of somebody at a sporting event the the number of points of contact that are going to happen uh it just those little those little wows now the way to coach those starts with the training process you know so when you're onboarding new hires and you're doing on the job training, just introducing people to these potential little wows that you can do. Uh, that's, that's a big part of it. But I also think that, uh, getting people to share stories, I think the best way to open up an employee meeting when you're having a, a, a virtual gathering, uh, uh, in-person gathering of employees, uh, your Monday morning huddle, whatever you want to call it. A great way to start it off is somebody share with me a wow that you did or you saw somebody did that created a moment of wow for a customer or a guest. And getting people comfortable sharing these examples, because what happens is people hear these examples and think, you know, I could do that. That's a great idea. I never thought of that before. And these little wows start to pe- perpetuate. And as an um, employee, you start building this, this toolkit, this, this you know, imaginary toolkit of little wows that you can do that when the opportunity arises, you know, you're ready to, ready to pounce on that. Uh, so again, I always think that one of the best ways to coach people on these things is yes, introduce them in the formal training that you do, but just getting people talking and telling stories and sharing examples uh, that perpetuates the culture of creating moments of wow. Amazing. I have, I have one more question, I guess that I could ask. Um, Sometimes I feel like people get hung up on the word wow. And they think it's almost like too big, even though you're saying little wow, I'm still looking for that word. That's like a little softer than wow, especially because we work with a lot of sports teams. So you have Uh employees that are, 
they're showing up there six times a year, right? Yeah. Uh, they, they barely know where the bathrooms are and you're trying to tell them to create a little wow. So I'm still yeah. looking for that word that's like slightly softer than wow, yeah. but I haven't, I haven't found it yet. So if you've got, if you've got one, I'm, I'm here for it. You know, I, I guess I'm of the opinion, don't give up on it. You Just know, keep driving because it. that wow is a, th- there's an emotional connection and I got the eye rolls. I, I, I do, you know, and, and when I'm working with frontline employees and organizations, I, I got, you know, I got For the sure. eye rolls. I, I'm familiar with it. <laughs> and, uh, and I say, I, I, and I'll admit, I'll say it's our fault, you know, as the trainers or as the leaders, because what we do is we tend to use these huge, wow, time consuming examples and that's why I think the best examples that we can use are just those little yeah. things yeah. Uh, that that just create that moment of wow. Now the great, the big things are great when we can do them, but those are the ones that are hard to do, especially when you're really busy. You know, if you're working in an entertainment venue or a sports venue, you're dealing with thousands and thousands of people. Uh, sometimes it's really hard to do those huge, I'm going to escort you across the arena to, you know, another food location that has exactly what, okay. Now, when you can do those, you should, all right. Big wows, you know, the big wows are made of those things, but the magic is in those little wows. And so I would say to, to the listeners, don't give up on the word wow, because there's that emotion. You want people, you want your customers to feel, wow. That was a great experience. Well, what made it a great experience? That was a, it was a bunch of little things. You know, I can't really pinpoint yeah. one major. It was a bunch of little things. And, you know, you think about some of the best sporting events that you've ever attended. And when I think, of, you know, in Orlando, some of the best sporting events I've attended, uh, I don't remember who won the game, you know, but no I remember question, the yeah. experience exactly. of being at the game. And, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that uh, my son uh, and his son, so my grandson and, and my son were at a Orlando Magic game the other night. And my grandson, who's five, was crying. He, he, was, he was crying and he was really upset. And Nicky Anderson, who's one of the announcers for the Orlando Magic now, he used to be an Orlando Magic player. He saw my grandson crying and he just came over and talked to him. And, you know, got him to stop crying and talk to him. And that's, I have no idea if the Magic won the game. (laughs) I don't know if they won the game. But I saw the pictures. I saw the video of Nick Anderson calming my five-year-old grandson. And I'll remember that forever. No question. Well, let's move on to your second book here, because this is where I... First part of this podcast, we talked a lot about the concepts of why service is important and what are some of the little principles. But I think in your second book, Unleashing Excellence, you're really providing a a how-to for creating this culture of service. We get a little bit more um, organizational and tactical in that book. So let's jump into that because I I do think it's important for people to understand it because that's where it's great to understand these concepts. It's great to get inspired by them, Mm -hmm. but the devil is in execution. Right. And that's where I think unleashing excellence really starts to dive in. So um, I, I, I want to talk about this just real quick. So everything kind of has to be viewed from this customer's lens. Right. And if you understand the customer emotions, you're going to understand the customer needs. Right. Um, right. So is this coaching empathy? Is this something that you can do or do you really have to start at the very beginning? And just hire people for that. I believe you really have to hire people for it. And and I always tell people it it really 
Well, it begins with defining what's the experience you want to create. Okay, so that it starts with that. You know, what is the experience that you want to create for your customers, your guests, etc.? And what has to happen in order to create those things? You know, so I always, when I work with organizations, I'll say, what are three things you would want your customers to say about their experience? Okay, now what has to happen for them to say those three things? So now you're really thinking behaviorally, you're thinking tactically and those kinds of things. So now, so let's use empathy as as the example. Let's say empathy is one of the key factors to getting people to be loyal to your organization. It's really hard to teach people who don't have an empathetic bone in their body to be empathetic. So you have to design your your hiring process around making sure we're bringing in people who have that that trait, that, that that's part of who they are. And then in the training, you say, here's how we apply this empathy in our organization. This is what it looks like at excellence in our organization. But they've got to bring the raw materials to the table. So I always say, if you're going to spend your time somewhere, hiring the right people is a really good place to spend it. Uh, And I recognize it's not easy right now. And I think that makes this point even more important mm-hmm. that we always have to be in recruitment mode. We always have to be looking and thinking about, you know, if you get great service somewhere, give them your business card and say, if you're ever looking for a, for a job, I would love to talk to you about our facility or, or our park or whatever it may be. I would love to talk to you about that because you're exactly what we're looking for. So you always have to be in, in recruitment mode. And hire those those traits in, and then okay, let's align then those traits with our culture, and this is what it looks like, sounds like, in 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 our organization. It's a it's a great place to start. Um, now, I I want to get into this kind of structures, and because I think you in the book you laid out a lot of uh, again tactics for how people right. can go about creating this culture of service if if they currently aren't in that, in that spot. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about kind of the, this kind of service improvement team that you discuss in the book and, and and what that looks like and how you've seen that operate in different formats. And that can be overwhelming, uh, for some folks. And, and when we wrote the book, uh, Unleashing Excellence, we wanted it to be able to cover just about any size organization. So the service improvement team, is really designed, you know, when for a, a corporation that has thousands and thousands of employees, you know, multiple departments worldwide, uh, where you create these these teams and subcommittees that are all linked together, and it works very very well. But what I would say to your listeners is the important part are the elements of the service improvement team. One person could do them, a few people could could do them. So it's a, again, defining what you want the service experience to be. How do you communicate that to the team? How do you train and reinforce that? How do you hire people that are wired that way? How do you hold people accountable for it? What are some recognition programs that can support it? So look at it as kind of a linear process that you can start getting traction right away by just 
immersing your people in what's the experience we're trying to create. And you'll see immediately, immediately results just by having that discussion, getting people talking about it. But then the things that really lock it into the culture going forward is, all right, are we hiring the right people? Have we built formal training processes that introduce those folks to our culture? Are we communicating relentlessly about it? And you know, from your Disney days, that message of, of the guest experience is relentless. It's around you all the time. Uh, how do we best recognize people who are delivering at excellence, you know, the Partners in Excellence Award and all of those, those kinds of things. Um, what do we do if somebody's not delivering on those? So performance appraisals, uh, job descriptions, you know, all of those at some point in the process need to evolve. Now that doesn't have to happen on day one. You know, those are things that can happen down the line. So when you look at the, the service improvement team, what I would say is, more importantly, is to look at the elements of it that have to be done. If you're an organization that's large enough that can put together these teams, great. If you're not, and I've worked with I've worked with banks, I've worked with stores who two or three people, they kind of manage the whole process, uh, but they do it in a linear fashion so that it's not overwhelming. Because uh, sometimes people, they see that and they get kind of overwhelmed by, oh my God, that's so much yeah. work we have to do. That's why I say, you know, it takes 12 to 18 months to do this because all of these things at some point have to be done. They don't have to be done on day one. So I'm I'm looking at the the chart right now, right? And again, they don't all have to be done at once. And it's more important to just kind of like take a look at all the different areas and tackle them kind of one by one. But I'm going to go through them real quick just to recap. So you got service tools, communication, training and education, interviewing and selection, measurement, recognition, service obstacle system, accountability, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm listening to this, I'm thinking all of those are internal. And this is where oftentimes we get calls or, and I know you do as well, where people are like, well, I don't understand why we're working on all these internal things. We, we hired you to make our customer experience better or our customer service better. Why aren't we just training our people how to go out and interact with our people better? Yeah. Why, why, why aren't we just training our employees to go interact with our fans or our employees better? And I think that is the point here is that, you can't just do that. Right. I mean, I mean, you, you can, you, you certainly can. It's not yeah. sustainable, but right. It's not exactly. That's the thing is you don't want it to be a flavor of the month program. Right. And we've all dealt with that. And, and I'm a realist. Oftentimes when we introduce something like this to an organization, the frontline employees, as we talked earlier, obviously sometimes they roll their eyes. Here we go again. Uh, and when you're not listening and they're just talking with each other, they're like, wait it out, just wait it out. You know, it'll go yeah. away like last year's flavor of the month program. What this does is it builds it, what this approach does is it builds it into the culture. Is it makes sure that it, it's not a flavor of the month program. There's a, it's a, a sustainable approach that says, this is the direction we're, we're headed in. Yeah. And uh, so I, organizations that I've worked with, the ones that I've seen that have really gotten traction are ones in various forms of this framework 
have applied each one of these things to their operation over a period of, of time. They've done the launch, they've gotten people involved, they've talked about it, they've gotten some traction, but then they're starting to weave it into, okay, let's evolve our hiring process and our job descriptions and all to include all of this. That takes a little bit of time to do. Uh, let's evolve our new hire onboarding process to include this. Uh, so that it's not reliant just on me and and my way of doing it. That no, this is part of our. I, that takes a little bit of time to do. Let's look at how we measure the customer yeah. experience. Okay, so the ones that I've seen that have really gotten results are the ones that stick with it over a period of time. Agreed. Uh, and again, don't do it. They don't have to do it all at once because that can just be a wave that crashes over the organization. But these are all things that at some point need to be done if you're going to sustain, you know, you have to, you have to look at your accountability processes. At the end of the day, we have to hold people accountable for delivering yeah. a great experience. So what do you do if they're not? Well, then we've got to have a coaching process. It's got to be built into our performance appraisal process. You can't argue with that. You know, again, that's not going to happen day one, but at some point it needs to happen. And and when we think about accountability too, I mean, it's, it's even for the people that are implementing these initiatives, right? That's why I think a lot of this time, a lot of this, it's, if it's not starting at the very top, yeah. you know, th this is likely something, this kind of change or shift is likely not somebody's day-to-day -day job task and responsibilities. <laughs> right, right. This is something that is being added on. Yeah. And so that's where I think even accountability comes for the people that are leading these initiatives yeah. because it's got to come from the very top because at the end of the day, that's not probably what's in their performance review is not the success right. of this program unless you right. go back and add it in. And, and you add it in to the form. And I remember when I was working there, you know, there were three things that as a leader, I was held accountable for. The guest experience, you know, whoever it is, I, whether, whether it was the external or the internal, the guest experience, the cast member experience, so the people who worked for me, and business results, whether that's revenue or whether it's cost controls, whatever it may be, that there were three elements that, that I was held, as a leader held accountable for. Uh, and it created that balance of leadership where you know, it wasn't just on the finances. You know, I, that's my focus. No, I was held accountable for the experience we were creating for whoever it is we were serving, you know, the external, the internal, uh, the people who reported to me. I was held accountable for the cast survey results uh, for that. And then my business results, you know, whichever form that that took. So I couldn't neglect any aspect of my responsibility you know, I was held accountable for each of those things. And it created that balance um, as a leader. And, and it helped me as a leader, too, to know that those were the three things that I was going to be held accountable for. Those three frameworks apply to anyone in yeah. any role. Absolutely. I mean, they, even for us at Disney Institute, where we were not in the parks, right, we were still held accountable to cast experience, guest experience, yep. and business results. Yep. And I think whether you're working for a retail organization or a sports team or a restaurant group, all three of those things should be the framework that you probably are looking at. How right. do we measure results? Because it creates the balance. Out. And what I find, this is just anecdotal evidence. I don't have any hard evidence on this. But what I find in many, many organizations is what most leaders are held accountable for are the business results. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah. This is the business results. Now we do have to be held accountable for those things. But if we're leaving bodies in our wake to create those business results, that's not sustainable. You know, that's that you're going to get some short term wins, but you're not that's not sustainable. You, you, you can't do that. So that three legged stool is a really, really good accountability approach for, for yeah. a leader in any organization. I love it. We've talked a lot about hiring the right people. It, it really starts there, getting yeah. the right people in the door. Um, one thing that I, I'm, we're wrestling with right now is moving past this HR formality of tasks and qualifications that are rolled up into these job descriptions, right? So this is this has been the case with a, a few different clients where we're we're looking at the team that's there and we're like, hey, we, you know, we've got to mix this up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is is you kind of got to switch up job descriptions, right. right? What they're currently doing is not what we need them to be doing to deliver mm -hmm. great customer experience. So let's rewrite these job descriptions so that we can capture and bring people in that can do those right, things. Right. Um, but again, we're kind of stuck and handcuffed by some of this HR formality that, Hey, we've got to, we've got to lead. The first sentence has got to be, you've got to be vaccinated or right, whatever, right. whatever it might be. Right. You know, you, you've got this corporate jargon that starts. And by that point, you've lost the opportunity to emotionally hook somebody into right. the job. So the people that really that we're looking for are already going to be opting out. So how, yeah. how have you advised organizations to move past that? How have you seen people? Yeah. Do that? And, and you're right. It is frustrating because a lot of it is, is legal issues, you know, is coming. So there are things they really do have to build into the job descriptions, you know, from a legal standpoint. So that's a tough, tough situation. But when I, when I work with organizations, you know, and I, I'm helping them define their, their, their service values, you know, what, what are the, the, the service values that, uh, that are important to creating that experience, you know, being knowledgeable, uh, with our, um, uh, customers being approachable, whatever they may be, you know, the, the, so it depends on the organization, um, taking those things and building those values into the job description at the beginning of this is who we are from a values standpoint. This is what differentiates us in terms of creating an experience for whoever it is we're serving. So not taking out the other things, you, because again, I, I, re, I have all the respect in the world for the HR folks, because that's a moving target. They, there's so many things coming at them constantly. Um, and so th they've got a tough job. So all I'm saying is add this to it at the yeah. beginning that defines who we are as a culture. So now as I'm looking at that job description, I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, this is something I want to be part of. Okay. Uh, now I have to be vaccinated. Okay. Um, right. I'm not supposed to steal. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> all, all of things. those things that are built into every job description. Uh but start off with the emotional connection, you know, the things that make you different as an organization. We're, we're on the same page there. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. We're going to send this to, to those clients and uh, say, hey, see, it's not just us. Right? <laughs> it's not just us preaching that. Uh, too funny. Well, I, I think um, one other thing when we think about 
hiring people is once we've hired them and mm -hmm. they come on board that first day, that brag worthy first day right, is right. so important. Yeah. And, and you led traditions, uh, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken at Disney mm -hmm. university, um, for a long time. So for people that don't know what traditions is, maybe talk about Disney's brag worthy first day and then some things that people have done, especially now with flexible work and hybrid yeah. work, how that plays in. Now, the timing of Disney traditions, the length of time has varied over the years, you know, depending on the what's happening. It's, it's varied over the years. But the fact is the very first day that somebody joins the organization, they're not thrown out on the job of, okay, now you start doing, you know, serving hamburgers or whatever it may be. You go through Disney traditions, which back in my day, it was a day long training program that introduced you to the culture. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll expand on that in just a moment. Then the second day you got into more of the specific, uh, here's what you get fired for, you know, those kinds of things. And then starting on day three is when you started your on the job training, you know, the, and again, the time frame ver has varied over time, but that's the flow that, that that's the flow is here's who we are. And this is what we're all about. Here's some of the rules of the road uh, of being a Disney cast member. Now let's start training you specifically on your job, incorporating those things into the, into the training. But that said, I think the, that magical for, what did you call it? It wasn't a magical first day. What did you call it? A, a brag worthy, brag worthy first day. Uh, I love that, that, that phrase. I think it includes three things. And when I think back to traditions, these were the three things that, uh, that, that stood out to me is it made me proud of the organization. So they told a lot of stories and examples. Where did we come from? You know, where, how did this all start with Walt Disney? You know, people joining Disney today, they have no idea about, you know, Walt Disney died in 1966. You know, so, so where did this all come from? How did this come about? You know, and, and kind of the flow of where the company started and where it's gone. And, and it builds that pride. And they use stories and examples of, of that in that onboarding process. The second thing that I think that affect that that brag worthy uh, onboarding creates is what's our true product? What, what are we really selling? And at Disney, you know, yes, we have rides and attractions, but what we're really providing is an experience. And that's where you come in, you know, is creating that experience. So again, telling stories, what does that look like? You know, you think about a sporting man. I told you earlier, you know, I've, I've had wonderful events that I've gone to, you know, sporting events. I don't remember who won the game, but I remember aspects of that, that experience. So they talk about what does that look like? What does that sound like? And they have some fun with it, you know, and, but, but it gets people, okay, I get it. I get it. And you see the light bulb starting to go on. And then the third thing that I think it creates is, is an understanding of what's expected. So as a, a cast member, you know, if one of the things that creates magic for our guests is how pristine the park is, you know, that's one of the top, as you know, one of the top compliments that they get is, the park's so clean and, and you know, the hotels are so, so pristine. Well, what does that mean to you as a cast member? Well, what that means to us is if we see a piece of trash on the ground, we go over and pick it up and throw it away. 
you know, that's what that's so that's why it creates that guest experience. Um, you see the 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 person getting ready to take a photograph of their family and just invite them. Hey, get in the phone. Let me take it. For, let me take it for you. So I get it now. I get it. Okay. So that's how I, I'm part of all of this. So that bragworthy first impression is the person is now proud of the organization. You know, you want them calling people when they finish up that orientation. This is the oh, most yeah. amazing place. So, you know, that it creates that. This is our true product. Yes, we have a football game or we have a, an attraction but the product is the overall experience, you know, from start to finish. And then this is your role. And this is what's expected as from you as a cast member, your, your role in that. So now at the end of that period, what it, whatever form it takes place in which it takes place, you've got this person now who's primed, you know, and ready to go out for their, for the next step, which at Disney is, okay, now here are the rules of the road, you know, the, some of the more typical HR stuff. And then the on-the-job training, but it's all all linked together. You know, yeah. it starts with that emotional connection. Now, the other side of your question is, you know, with people being some people working remotely. Well, clients that I've worked with, they've done the same thing. They've created virtual training programs. I personally think the in you know the in-person live way is always going to be better. superior. You know, yeah. is is the way to go. But hey, it, it's the reality of the world. Uh, you can do this virtually. You can do the same thing in a, in a virtual training program uh, where you're focused on pride, true product, what's expected, make it interactive, you know, and that can be yeah. interactive where we actually have a trainer on the other end or the system is, is an LMS system that's set up to, to be interactive. Um, so yes, you can, do, you can do it. A lot of my clients do that. They, they, they do it virtually. Uh, but the yep. elements don't change. Right. The first principles stay the same. They it's just your delivery same. mechanism that's different. Right. Um, right. And and I think I think everything that you've talked about is great because I I mean I it's such a good tool and especially if you're thinking wow that's a lot it, it is but that's mm -hmm. what you want because I remember my first traditions my first day at traditions and uh, you know my dad worked there for at Disney for 20 years so I knew what I was oh, getting really? into. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did you know Mike Malay? He was oh. over at ESPN Wide World of Sports and Disney Wide uh, World of Sports. Mike, that sounds really familiar. Yes, I'm, I'm so sure our paths crossed might, at some sure, time. I'm sure they, they crossed because yeah. he was there. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, he was he was there 20 years. Um, yeah. But so at Traditions, my first time, I mean, you did have the spectrum where you had the guy that's crying when Mickey comes in to deliver the <laughs> the badge. And you're like, right. all right, that guy gets it. And then yeah. you've got the girl sitting next to me. That's like, this seems terrible. Like, why are we, why are we here learning all this? I'm mm -hmm. like, you're not going to last 90 days. Yeah, you're this not is, make this it. is just, gonna, this yeah. is just the start, but it yeah. is. And she, she sat, she left the room. Like, is this really what I want to get into? Right. And, and that is the point you want to create a culture where people opt out because it's so the yeah. culture expectations are so strong and you want to deliver that from the jump. It helps everybody. Well, and that goes back to the hiring process too, of doing everything you can to screen those folks out at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they have that video when you go through orientation that or not through orientation, through the hiring process that kind of introduces you to here's the reality, here's the peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to work here and that it is hard work. And they find that people do screen themselves out. But now and then, 
people squeak through that. They know how to be interviewed. You know, they, 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 yeah. they can squeak through, but it comes to light pretty quickly. Uh, and, and, it, and those folks don't last. Well, Dennis, any parting words for us, uh, advice for our listeners, any last thoughts you want to leave everybody with? Yeah, I think the main thing that I would say is uh, from, from a leadership perspective is you have to have a clear vision of what the experience is supposed to be, you know, and a, a, a crystal clear vision of this is the experience we're trying to create for our spectators, for our guests, you know, whatever it may be. This is the experience we're trying to create by defining what do we want our customers to say and think about the experience. Then, okay, what has to happen in order for them to say or think those three things? And that provides you a, a, a launching pad for everything else of getting your people involved, uh, redesigning your hiring process, redesigning your uh, recognition programs and all of those other things. But it starts with getting your people engaged in what we're trying to create. Mm -hmm. If you just do that and get people talking about it and thinking that way, you're going to get some immediate wins. You're going to get, and you, you, and it, you can feel an energy, but you have to sustain it. And that's where all of these other things come into play. You're taking those same raw materials. You're just weaving them into, okay, so how do we hire people? How do we train people? How do we communicate with them? How do we hold them accountable? But you're taking those same raw materials and weaving them into all of those processes. It's a great spot to end us. Uh, Dennis, where can people reach you or follow along your journey? Sure. Uh, we're going to put links to both of your books in the show notes. Oh, so thank you. If, if thank you. Can, you. I appreciate uh, Check that. them out on yeah. uh, wherever you buy your books. But yeah. Uh, yeah, where can people reach you, Dennis? Yeah, the, what we try and use is, is my website as the hub for everything. Uh, so it's www.snowassociates.com. And so reaching me, seeing videos, going to my blog, my books, you know, all of those things. We try and use snowassociates.com as the hub just to make it easy for people to, to get to all those channels. Uh, but it's a topic I love to talk about, uh, to write about. And, and if people have questions, they're more than welcome to call or email me. Uh, they can get me at dennis at snowassociates.com. Uh, I'm, I'm always willing to give them my opinion, right or Amazing. wrong. I'm always willing to share my opinion. Well, and, and Dennis, we might, uh, we might have to bring you in to a project or two here this next year. Now that Great. we've, uh, now that I we've started this. That. So anyway, uh, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the show and looking forward to our next conversation. My pleasure. To, thank you so much to all our listeners. We'll see y'all next week. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.